Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So welcome, Bill Thank you. Strickland. And I was like, I'm going to say Bill, William, I didn't even ask you that. So um, I'm really glad that you said yes to doing this again, because it was a few months ago that we had you and Marty Lewis and Michael Shepard and Narvel McGee together. And we, I just really love when I've seen you guys in pictures together and then to hear that you've remained friends all this time, which is a unique and wonderful thing because none of us really came from the same town in this there's a few, I guess, who have, but most of us have met in Reno or somewhere else and then dispersed and went back to our lives and to stay in contact takes a lot of work. So I, I love that part of how you guys shared that you've been in each other's lives and how important you were to each other during that time and after. So I realized that we had such a short time splitting that between four people and like, here's a tiny little tidbit. And then we kind of talked a little bit and then we had to move on, but I really wanted to have time to hear each of your stories. And you've come up in several people's interviews about what a great dance captain you are. So I thought, let's let's hear more from Bill. Well, I will say that, what is it? Time softens a lot of stories. So <laughs> as we looked earlier, what the, you know, their memories may be more forgiving than what it was the actual experience was like, but it was still wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, there's names I can't remember. And, and even being in the same row for a year, I can name most of them, but some like I can see a picture of them like I remember, how did I not know them more after a year? And some people are in there forever in my memory because you just have more of a connection or, you know, and a dance captain, you've got a lot of time with people in a very stressful and exciting time in their life <laughs> to get to get them fresh in there and getting ready for the show. Well, when you think about it, I mean, it was a large stage, a large cast. And if you were if you're number, if you were placed on the opposite side of stage of some people, you would have never had a chance to meet with them, you know. To, so, yeah, I always laugh about that. Yeah, you could meet someone at a party or something and go, "Are we in the same show?" I had no idea we were in the show together, and that's it'd be impossible to know 150 people as your best friends even in a year. They should have just rotated us every few weeks. We should have just rotated rows, rotate, so we all got to know each other. Well, I will say that I, I felt very blessed to be able to swing because then, then you get to see a little bit more. But um, I, I was watching one of those in uh, Hello Hollywood, Hello retrospectives that was recorded for some television station and. Mm. And there was a part on, they devoted about, I want to say about five to 10 minutes on what was going on backstage. And I have to say, I was truly embarrassed because I had no idea what was going on back. I had no, no knowledge and no appreciation. You know, that was my first show. So just the thought of, you know, it was all about being on stage but just really being just completely clueless. And it seeing that it just made me even more proud and of the experience. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I got to benefit from 
you know, the music, the backstage area, you know, the stage crew, everything that went into that. Um, you know, so, so in my older in my older age, I appreciate so much more, and I'm so glad I got to see that. Yeah, there's a there's a video of the show, but there is some backstage. I wonder if it's the same thing I have. I love that you can find those things, but there's only one recording I can find of Hello Hollywood Hello, and I think it's 19. 19- Oh, 89. Wait, is it how long it ran? Maybe it was 84, but I was, I left in 1981 and the show, like Tiller was gone and they had the Furcos in there. So I didn't recognize part of the show, but I wish there was more recordings. I wish there was recordings. Like you, we were talking about Ronnie Lewis before he came on. Like I worked with Joan Palethorpe. I can't find videos of all the smaller shows I did. So I'm at least glad you can find some of these because before I'm like, oh, I hope those shows, those videos don't ever surface. And I have to explain to my children. <laughs> and now I'm like, I wish there was video. But I remember they had the giant video camera before those were even where people could own them. And so it's not like people had their phones out taking video of everything. Just think we'd have all this video on our phone of backstage parties and conversations if we had phones with recording on them back then. But nope, you had my Instamatic crappy little camera. You'd pop the little film thing in and wait for a week to be developed. And yeah, that's all I have. So please fire away. Do you have any questions for me that? I would love to kind of go back to like where you started dance and why you started dance. I think we just did such a quick, quick blip when we did the four of us, the four of you, like, like where you, where you grew up and why you started dancing. You know, I, I, when I saw HMS Pinafore in the third grade, I knew that I wanted to do something like that. But in my elementary school, you had to be in Mrs. Brandis' class to get into the show because she was the she was the teacher who put on the shows. So fortunately, I got to do that, and I got the leads in both of the shows. Wow. You know, we're talking sixth grade. Then everything sort of went dormant. Um, you know, my dad was in the Navy you know, um, up until I was in the seventh grade and there was no way that his one of his sons was gonna do any mm. show businessy, yeah. um, theatrical. But I did get to do one or two shows, a couple of shows in high school. When I got to college, freshman year was fun, liberating, but I spent some time trying to find myself. Um, and You know how when you go home for Christmas, you go by your old high school to see, you know, like now I'm a big man on campus because I'm a college college person. Mm-hmm. But I stopped by the the auditorium where they were rehearsing for that year's musical and they were doing a tap show. They were doing Dames at Sea. And my ego was obliterated because, you know, while I was in high school, I moved pretty well. But now all the kids were doing things that I couldn't do. So when I went back to, when I started the winter uh, quarter, I marched directly to the dance department and signed up for tap and for jazz. So my start in this really had to do with ego. I love that though. It put you in a place um, to want to go farther. And I, I think when I, I think when I realized that that was a motivating factor for me, I was able to use it. Mm, I I know that sounds silly. But so I started with that and I sort of had 
I had fun with it. And my, my dance teacher and I credit him with so much with my journey. So I would not have been able to make it through college or get to experience, get to live my dream had it not been for him. Because, you know, when I took his class, um, you know, I didn't have tap shoes. I didn't have, you know, and he, so he would order them for the students and then he would put the taps on and he had a little dance studio at his home. And I was constantly pestering them, pestering them, pestering them. And so going back and forth to his house to wait on my tap shoes, I got to know him and his family a little bit. And, you know, I moved pretty well in those class. And then he asked me if I wanted to be the TA for the next quarter and things like that. And at one point he had said to me, he said, you know, I could think you could do something with this if you wanted to, if you wanted to apply yourself. And at that time I still had the, the framework of, oh no, this is not something that my dad would ever let me do. So it was, I took those classes just for fun and a relief from, you know, I was a, pre a pre-dental student at that time. And uh, so I took the classes, I had fun, um, but you know, that was pretty much it. I took a year off and moved to San Francisco. And while I was there, I got involved in a production of West Side Story that was going to be at the, they were going to put it on at the Golden Gate Theater, which at that particular time had not been renovated. It had been a, an adult movie theater for a while and it was split into two levels. Uh, but we rehearsed, we rehearsed there and we were going to put the show on there. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't the best mover anymore. And, you know, the show didn't actually end up going, making it to full production, but the, and then I returned back to, back to Davis. Uh, and I went to my professor uh, and I said, you know, I think I want to do this. And he said, okay, well, I want you in, you know, you're not, since you're not enrolled for this quarter, I want you in my classes on campus. I want you in my classes that I teach in town. So immediately I was immersed into not only the college classes, but I was taking ballet with the five-year-olds and the little, you know, and the, mm -hmm. the grandmothers. Yeah. Um, so I, it was just really intense. And, um, you know, that's how it got started. Then I got to the point where he started having me teach at his satellite studios. Um, and mind you, you know, I was, broke as heck and he said so you're going to live at my house because his family was away for a while you're going to live at my house and your rent will be to collect the rent from the other tenants and he made a work study job for me that allowed me to attend my classes because I still had a, uh, a you know science major um, but it allowed me to take classes and so and, and the thing is he would also get up every morning. He insisted that I be in the studio at six, stretch, Ooh. get ready. And then he would come in at 6.45 and he'd work with me for about 45 minutes by myself. Wow. And he did that. He did that with a couple of other people as well. But for that reason, one, I was able to make it through college. Um, it really did instill into me some discipline. 
and respect for the art form. So at, then at a certain point, he said, okay, I want you to start you know, going into Sacramento, taking classes. I went to, uh, he inspired me to go to stage seven in San Diego for their summer symposium. And that's where I had learned of these people from stage seven who many of them were now rehearsing this show called Hello Hollywood, Hello. Hmm. And we'd see, you know, we'd see a few little pictures and whatnot. And I still didn't have, um, you know, it never occurred to me that I would ever actually get to do that, but it was still there. And then, um, so after I graduated, I lived, worked in San Francisco for about a year and I was still taking classes. And then I started going into Vegas with some of my stage seven friends. And um, the first thing I ever saw was, it was Jubilee. And I didn't actually see Jubilee, but I was at, was there for the audition and the show was going on. I peeked in through the cracks of the door and I just saw colors and music and movement. And I knew I have to do this, mm. I have to do this. So I auditioned for that show didn't get it. Then we went over to the Lido. I didn't get it. it you know, I was cut. And um, so I auditioned for, I, I, I auditioned for uh, Don Arden in, in uh, Vegas three different times. And, you know, whenever I saw Fluff walk up to the edge of the stage and, you know, I was just used to that. It's not going to happen today. Hmm. You know, she was very mm -hmm. respectful, but it was like, no, I can't hear that again. Um, on one of, I will say on one of those auditions there, um, you know, I was, you know, I was like, hey, see, uh, you know, I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have the right <laughs> look or whatever. You know, I'm only five foot 10. Everyone's, you know, they were saying minimum of six feet for the guys and, uh, but I was confused because I, I, I'd had an audition where I kind of thought, I think I dance better than many of those guys up there. And it just, I just couldn't understand. I, so I must've had a befuddled look on my face because someone just got up out of, you know, out of King's Row and walked over to me and they said, you know why you're getting cut, don't you? And I said, no, and they said, because you're black. And uh, I, I was a little stunned by that. And I said, well, yes, I know I'm black, but what does that have to do with anything? And that person, I thought, said, well, here in Vegas, unless you're, a, they don't hire black dancers unless you're a headliner. And the MGM Grand is the only show, <clears throat> this is like 1978-79, that has eight black women in it. But there are eight black men in the show in Reno. So I had auditioned, then I started auditioning in Reno. And I was cut a couple of times. Um, but then when they were putting in Jubilee, auditioning for Jubilee, I went with friends from stage seven again, um, had like four days of auditions. And then I was in the group that was going to go to Reno. Yay. <laughs> or actually, I'll back that. I was in the group that made it. And then they said, look, but we need you to come back tomorrow. Uh, just for a lineup and you don't have to worry about bringing your dance wear, you know. And so I immediately, on that Thursday, I immediately went back to where I was staying and called my 
job in San Francisco and basically told them they could kiss <laughs> the innermost part of my rump. <laughs> and um, so I quit the job. And even though the contract in Reno wasn't going to start, you know, I think the audition was like in April, the contract started in August, but it was like, it's done. When we came back in on Friday, a whole new crop of dancers had come in from Los Angeles. Winston, who had been giving us, the, you know, teaching us the various different audition pieces the whole week before, um, was not there. There was someone who had come in to audition that knew Winston and Winston pulled him inside and said, I have to go. Can I teach you this? And so Ed Smith actually gave us the audition piece and he was there to audition. And I was very bitter. I was very, because oh. it's what, but you know, but my, my instincts told me, no, don't eat a big breakfast and do take in your dance wear because we did have to redance. And, but fortunately I was in that group that was going to be sent to Rena. So and I, I was thrilled to be able to finally make the cut, but I had wanted to be in the Vegas because that was what my whole thing was. I didn't know that Reno was going to be the best place for me. Hmm. So I, you know, I went back to San Francisco, took a, a dreary insurance job, and it really was the name. It was the type of job that you just kind of thought, oh, it's, it sucks your soul. And then to be able to leave that and go to Reno, and then things just opened up. Um, I, have a, I have a couple of questions I want to ask. Because um, you said you didn't want to do this because of how your dad would react. Did you just get to a point where you just had to just go with it and take the risk and see what happened? Or what changed that make you go, okay, this is really what I want. And I, it may cost me a little something. Well, you know, my parents were able to pay for me to go to college for my first two years. After that, it was on me. Okay. So when my dad heard that I was actually, so in my junior or senior year, I was doing a musical and uh, someone who saw one of my performances told her father of this show that she saw and this, this black guy named Bill Strickland, her father happened to work at Lockheed where my dad worked. And then my dad who had never called me once before called and said, you know, when did you change your major, you know, to theater? And I said, well, I haven't, but I'm paying for my school now and I can, will do what I want to do. <laughs> so that, you know, so that was no longer an issue really, but yeah. still, at, still at that time, you know, until I got cast in the show, it really never occurred to me that I would ever actually get to do it. Yeah. I remember my parents, like when I said I was going to move to Vegas, but can you make a living at that? And there's a million talented people. How are you going to make a living? And it does, you know, at that time, you're just like, I just want to do it. And it making a living is not the thing. And I'm 63 and I'm still making a living at dancing. But when you're a parent going, you're going to do what? Like have something to fall back on, have, you know, for a female back then, like get a job as a secretary because then you get married and then you don't have to work or whatever, whatever that mindset was. But for parents, no matter how supportive or not supportive, just to like say, I'm going to go make my way in theater. And they're like probably thinking you're going to live on the streets or there's also connotations of being in theater too. If you're 
well, whatever your I, family background is, there's a lot that overcome. And I will say for me, um, I am glad that I did go back and graduated before I took this journey. Yeah. Um, so that when it was time to make a transition out of entertainment, I already knew that I had something there already. That when I went into on my resume, um, it was one less reason why I could be turned away, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, so so even with even with my uh, JD, I can't say that it opened infinitely more doors, but there were a lot more doors that could not be closed because I always fit the minimum requirements. Yeah. Wow. And I also there's something that really stood out in your story because I always hear people's you know how how they come up in the dance world, either maybe you were the best or you struggled, but I love when you brought up ego right from the start, but then to, you were humbled in a way that feels like it was not to put you down that you go, okay, here's, I have work to do. Oh, and now I'm not the best again, where instead of it being the ego that drives you to arrogance, it, it brought you to humility in a way that sounds really wonderful. And this teacher who did this, like to, to offer you all these things and to live there. And there's something he saw in you. And I think it's, when you're humble like that and you have someone investing, that seems like such a perfect growth opportunity. Because there's people like, I was the best in my studio at 12 only because the, everybody, th- you know, older left. And so now you are advanced. <laughs> it's not because you earned it. It's because there's no one there to look up to. And then you get humbled. When I moved to Vegas, and went, oh, okay, I'm not the best. But it either can make you quit or, or like, I don't have to work that hard. But I think that that humble spirit is just, that's such a good such a good way to come up in this world where you can get your ego explode or you can be so uh, shot down by what people say. So I don't know if that's helped you in life to just know, here's where I kind of fit. Here's what I need to do to work instead of an inflated ego or such a diminished one that we can't actually step forward to excellence. Well, when I, after I left uh, Hello Hollywood, you know, I did a couple of shows, got my equity card and did a couple of shows. And then I got to um, tour in one of the companies of 42nd Street. And that professor was able to come down with two of my peers, you know, that he worked with us. um, And they came to see the show. And afterwards we went out to eat and I said, I I made a comment about, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm motivated by jealousy and envy, jealousy and envy. And And he goes, of course I did. Why do you think where every time I thought you were slacking off, I spent more time with Sylvester, <gasps> who was the other friend who was there. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, at, at that, it's one of my favorite photos of my professor, my friend Sylvester, and my friend Jan. And and Jan Jan Gan is she she got to do the uh, movie A Chorus Line. So she was she was my dance partner in, in you know in, in college and whatnot. So, uh, but, but I just kind of it cracked me up that he knew, and he he knew how <laughs> how to motivate me. So, wow. Well, I just think it's amazing you had that self awareness that to know that's what motivated you. That's yeah. Can I bring up one other thing that that yeah. that person that person who informed me of well they don't hire blacks basically in Vegas, and it was at that particular time and whatnot, but I had never seen that person before, never saw that person again, don't know who it was, 
But with that, that person shifted my whole experience working in the business because that, that I was able to kind of pull back and go, oh, if there's ever going to be any non-traditional casting, there's going to be one, maybe two. Hmm. So whenever I went to auditions after that, I never stood next to anyone who's tall or another Black dancer mm. because I wanted to pop. Yeah. And I, I'll never forget, there was one day we, at, at Hello Hollywood, Hello, um, you know, we had a new crop of people coming in and when they bring us in for that lineup and one of the new people that was there, you know, we, we became good friends, but he went to stand next to me in that lineup. And, you know, I'm 5'10 and always had to put in those lifts whenever we have those lineups. And Leland had to be 6'3", 6'4", <laughs> to look that <laughs> get the hell away from me. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. so wow. I, but I think that served me well when I went out and started auditioning for the, for the Broadway shows. Because generally, generally, I was the only Black person or the only person of color. And, and I think a lot in the show, and I think a lot of it had to do with if I had just sort of gone with my group, I might yeah. have been the one that was selected, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, Norvell had mentioned too, like if you're if you are a black dancer that's coming in audition. It's not like you can just go replace any boy. He said only black dancers replace yes. black dancers and whites. Yes. So then that also makes it okay. How many spots are there and in which line? It's not just we need five boys. It's like it broke broke it down in a way that you guys were probably seeing the math and figuring out like how. Wow. So do you know with because I know Hallelujah Hollywood. I think it had a line of black female dancers. Correct. And then Hello Hollywood had a line of black male dancers, and then Jubilee had. They the really Ebony line, the and I don't. They were what? They really pushed the envelope by having eight black men and eight black women. This is the first, and I don't know if anything else in Vegas, and I don't know if Don Arden is weird and and armory and awful as he could be. I don't know if he was trying to push the envelope or what his thing was. If it was it just fine to do that in Vegas, or if he was trying to. I don't know what I don't know his motivation, but I don't know of anybody else who did that because it was I, like. But it was, I mean, I'm glad that there was an opportunity. Um, but it's, I'm, not, I'm not sure whatever happened after because Jubilee ran forever and I don't think any other shows. So when you, how long did you stay in Hello Hollywood alone? I was there for three years. And so in that you were a swing and a dance captain. Did you yes. both? Were you doing yes. both at the same time? Yes. How was that? How was that to be moved up within within your line and get new things to do and keep life interesting and also have to be in, in charge of your peers, okay. which sometimes so, is good. So this is from my perspective, whether it's based in reality or not, this is my, so um, <laughs> I'll just be frank. So, you know, we as performers, we can be very passionate. We can be very, you, and then the black line, we had lots of energy so that when we were fighting, 
everyone knew we were fighting. And when we were having it just being absolutely joyous, everyone knew and would come and try to take part of that. And part of that had to do, you know, with the passion and energy and and sometimes some of the negative things that experience that we brought to that. So um someone that I love dearly was the captain Coco. He was mm. uh, had been around for a very long time. I want to say he was probably about 20 years older than I was. Yeah, I think I remember Coco. And he and he had, you know, so Coco was the captain. And he if you got on his nerves, he would tell you off. And his 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 phrase was, I'll read you, you know, I'll meet you, I'll read you from amazing grace to a floating opportunity. <laughs> and which, you know, I look at him kind of go, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and he also had another phrase of, you know, if someone was getting on his nerves, he'd say, you make my ass when I take a dip of snuff. And I just kind of thought, what does that, that mean? From? And, just, and, and to this day, when people get on my nerves, that's where I go to. I, that comes out of my mouth. So, so sometimes he and the office didn't get along. So I think this is my perception. I think that Jillian and Adrian realized that perhaps they could speak with me and get things done, get some things done without a lot of drama and having mm. to deal with Coco's fire. Mm. That's that's my perception. Yeah. It, they could be completely off, but I think many people found it me easier to work with in that regard. And so I became co, you know, co-captain. And then, you know, I was the one who was asked to teach people, you know, to put them into the show. Uh, but was that all all the male dancers? No, just just the black line. Okay. Um, but then, you know, I, I did get to, I you know, at one point I did get to teach the, the a couple of the numbers for the for the auditions. Uh, but the one that I remember doing is the one where I got fired. Oh no, what's that so, one? You, well, you know, you do the you have the audition, you have the lineup. <clears throat> and then maybe a day or two, I got Richard Sturm. I got that, that that message from Richard Sturm. Thank you for your contributions to the show, so on and so forth. I ended up staying for the next contract, but you know, but I did I did get my pink slip there. Whoa. Okay. So I talked to Jeffrey Adair. He said he got uh, fired standing in his G string on the stage by Don Arden. I'm like. Gosh, there's like, just give us a little dignity. Oh, man. It was, my, it was sort of like, really? I just gave the audition. Yeah, like you're doing your job. Wow. So, um, but like I said, I did get to stay one one additional contract. And, and, but that was, it was good because it then motivated me to kind of consider, well, what is the next thing? Hmm. You know, that was my first show. Um. And I never would have had the other experiences had I not had that happen to make me think of, okay, I should probably think about what is the next thing. Yeah. 
Were you, because we had talked a little bit about Ron Lewis before we recorded, because Tahoe had the show, I think in Reno, there was I, maybe Ron, there was a couple of Ron Lewis or Apcar shows, but I remember seeing that like, oh, there's other things out there because Hello Hollywood is also my first show. I didn't know what was out there until you, you have people coming in. It came from somewhere else. So the world opens up, but did you want to stay in that kind of same thing? Like the big production shows or cabaret? Did you really have anything in mind of, I want to keep doing these big ones? Uh, well, I, I coveted a spot in a Ronnie Lewis show. I really wanted to do, you know, at that particular time, just the energy. And because I had taken classes from Anne-Marie Garvin in San Francisco, who had worked with him and putting on the show in, in uh, Tahoe, I, I was kind of familiar with the style. I liked the energy. I it, it was something different, but I still, but I have to admit that I also appreciated being in the big show, the show that people came to town for, the show mm -hmm. that, that, you know, the stage was huge and that, you know, the things that we would do with each other on stage, you know, teaching other, having classes, you know, during the break. I love so, that part. So I realized that I, I really lucked out. I got into a good show, a good production. You know, I only, in my career, I only had to deal with some shows with bad producers twice. Where, and, and then you kind of realize I really lucked out my first show being Hello Hollywood, Hello. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, you, so I knew what the experience could be like to be treated with respect, to be treated as an artist, to make sure that when you went on stage, the lights, the sets, the, the cues, everything was in place to absolutely support it. Um, because as you know, that's not the case in mm -hmm. every place. <laughs> uh, when I got into uh, 42nd Street, I, I went into as a, one month replacement to replace someone who was out for an operation. And, uh, you know, in, we're in the money, have huge dimes that the girls dance on and those were flown above the stage. And, and the dance captain who was putting me in uh, uh, said, oh, now don't be afraid of these things up there. Um, you know, they're, 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 it's very safe. And then they said, wait a second. I, and I said, my first show, the floor open, <laughs> up from three floors below we had waterfalls we had people you know living on a living curtain this is nothing by comparison yeah so and I think that was also when I you know it was reinforced of my god I cut my teeth yeah I'm one of the best yeah so yeah, and then you get in like, well, do I don't have a dresser or, oh, I have to sew my own tights. <laughs> some, somehow to go from that good, it was hard in some ways to be like, oh, who I do my own laundry. <laughs> well, fortunately, no show I did ever would trust and trust me to do laundry. No good. <laughs> I think it was just the, yeah, fishnets, I can't remember. What was, so what was your show after Hello? Was 42nd Street your next show? No, I, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, so I left there in October and then at the end of December I got my first equity show 
uh, with, at the Lawrence Welk Village Theater. And um, got to do George M. Then I got to stay for Man of La Mancha. Wow. And then I got to choreograph, sort of, kind of, I got to choreograph uh, Guys and Dolls. And, and, and that, was where, that was where I learned that although I could choreograph pieces for dance class, my talents did not lie with choreographing for a full show. Yeah, that's a, its own yeah. beast. And, um, and I also kind of realized I'm miserable. I'm, you know, in, in, like, so I realized that my shortcoming was I could only choreograph for people who could dance. I couldn't choreograph for people who were not really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, in that show, one of the one of the singers that the director wanted for that show, he came with his wife was part of the package and could not, poor thing could not move a bit. And so I was trying to come up with clever ways to sort of siphon off one of the Kit Kat girls or no, Hotbox girls. Hotbox, yeah. And, and, and um, he said, Bill, you can't, you can't choreograph her out of this. I, you know, so I just did not have that talent and I was miserable. And so I think that was the last time I try, tried that. But from there, I had like several months of unemployment so that when I, there was a, and it was, this was during the Olympics, there was a, I auditioned for it and got a version of Showboat. And it was with that same director who had given me my equity card and I felt that I owed something to him for, and I needed a job, but I hated it. So when mm-hmm. when uh, 42nd Street called me after like, I had auditioned for them four months earlier, uh, they called me to come in to try on costumes. So this goes back to the value of my time at Hello Hollywood, Hello. So as I mentioned, Coco could, he was like the feisty grandmother who would be on you. Like, and at one point people were acting sort of silly, talking about their dreams that were gonna be on Broadway and stuff like that. And Coco just sort of put down his makeup thing and said, kids, he goes, getting onto Broadway has nothing to do with talent. It's if you fit the costume. And I looked at it and I said, that can't be true. And I said, and how, how, how dare you squash these young people's dreams? Yeah, but I let it go, you know, but that was a, something that I paid attention to. So when 42nd Street called me not to come in, but to come in to try on costumes, mm. I knew that the costumes had to fit because I knew yeah. it was a one month gig. Fortunately, because it was 1930s, type thing, the, you know, the pleat, pleated pants. Yeah. So my thighs and rump fit into this. I fit into everything else. The hat was too small, but he goes, I need to make sure everything fits. He turned around. I pulled that hat down really tight across. <laughs> the he turned around and said, how were things right? He goes, great. Everything fits <laughs> great. How about the hat? He said, great. See? And he turned around and I popped it off. That was the only reason I got to go in 
as a replacement. And because I had learned the new boy rules in Reno, I was very accommodating and made sure I was ingratiated to all the stage managers and whatnot. So the fellow came back. I left that show. I went to do Alvin and the Chipmunks, and which was a non-equity thing. And you know, they wanted to, it was a bad experience. So they got rid of me. Oh. Oh, I went to quit. They asked me to stay. So I stayed, continued to stay. But they brought in the guy who was doing the role before me, brought him back in and let me know, Bill, this will be your last performance. And I said, great. So oh when I got back to LA and checked with my answering service, they said, 42nd Street has been trying to reach you. So someone else in the cast had been hired for cats. So I got to replace someone else for another month before it closed in LA. And then I got to take part in the tour. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, so, uh-huh. so then the tour, and that was where my huge family, Hello Hollywood and the 42nd Street Tour, those are my two showbiz families. Mm-hmm. Those people are still in my lives today. Yeah, because tour is a, a, yeah, you're traveling together. Are you, were you doing like bus and truck? Um, it was... Yeah. We did have a short bus and truck part of it. Um, And it's sort of like that actually really brought that experience. And then plus we had someone die while we were on on tour. And that really just kind of ratcheted us together. And so it was a a great company. It was a fantastic company. Whatever new town we got into, we didn't even have to have a put-in rehearsal. We would just walk the stage. We knew where we had to be. Wow. Um, it was, it, it, like I said, all of those people are still in my life today. I spend all of my vacations, I mean, uh, holidays with people from 42nd Street. Oh, my gosh. Did you get to do things when you got to each city? Did you have time to explore since you're not going to do a foot in rehearsal, you got time to... So in the the first part and then in the second, you know, after the short uh, bus and truck part, um, we certainly did. We certainly did. Um, You know, I got to take... We were performing in uh, Vancouver for the... During the World's World's Fair. So I took sailing lessons in the Bay there. Um, Then when we went to Tokyo got to do all of explore all of Tokyo while I was there and and like I said you know how it is every stop there there are the memories that you just kind of go and remember when we went to the St. Louis Zoo remember when we did xyz so yeah so for people that do tours you bond because hello Hollywood I've heard a lot of people say they bonded in that show more than other shows like Paris and that because in Paris, you have so many things you can just go off and do with other people or, or by yourself. But in Reno, we really didn't have much to do. But in, in daytime, when we're sleeping, everybody's living their life. And then but we kind of just, we made a family out of the necessity. And and you've got a lot of people to choose from. It's not like, I went in a show where there's six people and everybody hated each other. And that's miserable. I almost broke a contract because the girls were like throwing things at each other before the show. I'm like, this, this is not fun. But if you only have six people to choose from, but in the in a big show, it's like you can really have 
all different kinds of friendships, but the, the touring thing too, because you are, that's who you're with all the time and you're, you're having challenges and beautiful things that bond you as opposed to just the daily life that people have in an office. I'm so glad you got your tap class in there. Like going back to the beginning of your story, like that you need to take tap and then you end up doing 42nd street. One of the most beautiful tap shows. Well, what's so silly is there was a period where I, I mean, I, when, when I was growing up, I always used to love the old black and white movie musicals and whatnot. But then there was a period where kind of went, huh, where I didn't necessarily have the appreciation for awareness for say like Bojangles, um, the Nicholas Brothers, so on and so forth, um, because I kind of thought, I will, I will never do tap dancing because that's so stereotypical. Hmm. So it's odd that it took jealousy and envy and my ego to kick me out of that because every show that I did after that had tap. Really? And, and a lot of times, and even if it was only a one number or intimating tap, I, you know, a lot of times I was the only one who could do it. Hmm. So Got that in your back pocket. So I, I will say that the show that I was most proud of was um, Sophisticated Ladies. <gasps> you did. Say, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so I got to do that in Long Beach and then go to Berlin with it. And um, and there were there there were some great some great tap numbers and and rigorous. And while you're holding your four part harmony. So. Uh, I would say that with that, um, I've only had one, you know, out of body experience, mm -hmm. and it was with with that show. The opening number starts four guys, four part harmony, a hard tap dance number, and and I remember just sort of looking down at us doing it and thinking, oh my gosh, could it ever get? No, it could never get better than this. Wow. Then my next thought was, sure it can. This is just the oh, this is just the gateway. So I got to have that experience. So you know, I, the, the doubting Thomas in me was eradicated there. But that one, that one, particularly the version we did here in, in Long Beach, where I got to dance with Harold Nicholas. Oh my gosh! Um, I saw that show. That was my first show I ever saw on Broadway. And Gregory Hines was in it, Judith Jameson. I had that memorized. I listened to that soundtrack. When you said the opening, I, I'm like, okay, I know it's, I play that thing still, the, uh, hit me with a hot note. There's, oh my gosh, it's all Duke Ellington, right? It's all Duke Ellington music. That's one of my favorite shows I've ever seen because it, it was not a story necessarily. It was just right. like the most amazing, well, I love Duke Ellington, but to see the tap like that, the quality, the voice, I just love that show. So I'm, when you said you were in that, I'm like, I just remember being blown away by that show and the tap in that and the, oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry. I'm just still kind of like fangirl right here. <laughs> and I don't think it ran very long because I know on Broadway, I don't know how long it ran and the tours, I always wish it would come back. And I don't know if that show, I don't know what it would take to get that back, but it's such a unique show. I wish it would come back. Well, I, you know, I, I think I was, I was blessed in, you know, the, in Long Beach, I was working a full-time job. They, um, and because I could basically control my own schedule, I was able to carve off time to make it to rehearsals 
for that and the show, they allowed me to work around my work schedule as well. Um, but that that also was a company that you just kind of went, ah, how, did, how, how am I so blessed? How did I get, wow. Yeah. Was it similar to the Broadway choreography or was it? Yes. Yes. Okay. It, it, because Bruce Heath, who had been associated, well, I don't know if Bruce Heath did it in New York, but he helped set it here when they had the LA company. So then years later, when they, um, he he became the person who would recreate it and do it all over the place. Okay. So he came back. And so we did the, we did the original choreography. I will say though that that one of the companies somewhere, a lot of the entrances or exits start, you know, they started with a different foot. Mm. You know, which which can so when we did it in Berlin, half of us were from the Long Beach cast and then half were from New York. And oh. it's sort of like rather than, you know, to be diplomatic, okay, so on this we'll do it the way we did in Long Beach for these and we'll do it the way we did it in New York for those. So we never quite knew which, which one are we starting on? on this? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. But, so did, how did it go over in Berlin? Like, did, was it, did you guys stay there for a while? Were you in one theater or were you touring around? So if I, if I'm honest with so we were there just for, I want to say maybe like a three to four week run. That's my recollection. Um, it was right before the wall came down. So okay. my, so what made the Berlin experience, the company did not work well. So, 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 okay. so the company, we, we never really, and then the producer sucked. Oh, oh shoot. Oh, and this was, this was one of those where, you know, we arrive, <laughs> we arrive, and I forget what holiday it was, but we arrived. There was no one there at the airport to pick us, and none of us spoke German. Uh, we oh. finally get picked up. We get to our flat. The, and then we're told, oh, they'd like you to come in for rehearsal. Wait, wait, we just got off an ex, we just got off of this long ass flight. Excuse my language, I'm sorry. Oh, um, we got it all over. <laughs> no. We got off this long flight and you want us to rehearse. So we went in and then the reason I took this is they said, oh, Bill, we'll have you swing. On my contract, I was going to be swing. So I kind of thought, okay, I won't work. I'll just go, <laughs> I'll just see Berlin because I, you know, I won't have to reserve energy going on. Well, when we got there, they said, Bill, we've decided we're going to make someone, someone else swing and we're going to have you go, do a, the show. And I was like, okay. Do I get the same spot that I did in Long Beach? No, we need you in another spot. So, you know, it was, um, they rehearsed us long enough that day. By the time we got out, it was, all of the stores were closed. All of the restaurants were closed because it was the day before the holiday. There was nothing in the flat for us. And I don't remember how we got to eat that night, but there was nothing. That, and then you had six guys in a flat rehearsing a, a rigorous show. There was one bathroom, one bathtub uh, in a flat with six guys. Oh. oh. And it, so it was just like, you know, and the, the, uh. 
the the the, uh, the female chorus they had their own issues they were in a flat that was sort of like a shotgun type thing so to get to the bathroom or the kitchen everyone had to walk through everyone's room it, it was it was you know and then uh the stage was raped so yeah, I kind of thought okay so how does that work when you're into when your entrance is a leap in second in tap shoes. <laughs> so so, so uh, my rear hit the floor a couple of times. So it was the show was a the show was not an optimal experience. However, being in Berlin right before the wall came down was a great experience to be able to go into go through checkpoint Charlie. Uh, to see yeah. the wall go from Technicolor to sepia tones. Um, it was fascinating. Wow. I, yeah, I'm listening it after. Wow. Yeah, the things in history when people were like, well, this, oh, where were you? Like, well, yeah, I was, I've actually been there, seen that. And someone said, um, are you going to take a piece of the wall back with you? And I said, no, I'm not going to pay to take a piece. <laughs> I'll just get, get off the plane, get a concrete there and say, this is from the Berlin Wall. <laughs> I don't know. So. Who knows the difference? Oh my gosh, I did find Sophisticated uh, Ladies is on YouTube with the Broadway cast. So I watched the whole thing because I go, nope, I love it just as much. It wasn't just because it was my first Broadway show. It really is that amazing. Greg Burgess, I'm trying to think of else. Uh, gosh, a couple of like really big name tappers. I think that Broadway cast, and just to see Judith Jameson, who I've only, you know, because Alvin Ailey know her from there and to see her and this beautiful big voice she has. It was, anyway, still gushing about <laughs> that. Um, did you feel... Because I love I love travel, but it was so funny because you bring up memories that I somehow locked away. There's a great experience, like oh god, I remember being stuck with all of our luggage and not being picked. I mean, I now I'm remembering those things that go wrong, and we just somehow kind of push those off and remember all the good. Like no, there was things that are really challenging about traveling. One of them being super tired, but yeah, then that many people in the apartment, it's like of course you're going to have some some flare ups and people on the edge when they're tired and they have no food. You know it. So I would say that I did a show in between the LA cast of the LA production of 42nd Street and then starting rehearsals for the tour. I had a nice little in-between gig that took me to Hong Kong. Oh wow. It, it was it was one of the worst on-stage experiences I've ever had. Um, but the benefit was Marty was working in Hong Kong choreographing. And I was able to call him uh, and, you know, he got me away from the cast that just didn't work. And we went, you know, I got to go to a party with him and whatnot. So that was, that was the redeeming thing for, you know, Hong Kong to get to spend time with Marty because I didn't work with Marty in, um, in Reno. I took his spot. Oh, oh, oh that's right. Okay. I took his spot. I, his clothes became my clothes. Um, so, so that, that was, it was really nice to have someone that I respected and that, that was a really good person. So the, the, the show that I went over there with was called, it was Black Ballet Jazz. It was, a, it, we were with the, one of the, what's the, it's a, a, a federal, department that sends people out and about. And it was to show, you know, black contribution to dance. 
which in concept I think is really great. We had a director who was having some issues. I didn't know what that was. I came in as a replacement as well. And I kept, but for me, it was like, great. I'm just gonna fit this window really nicely. Um, we get over there and, you know, we left on Christmas day. We're singing Christmas things. The people on China Airlines were not pleased with us. So it was, that was, that turned into an interesting thing. We finally get into Hong Kong. We're just pouring ourselves off the bus. Look, you know, a long flight like that. But everyone, they were had, they put us up in this great hotel, but everyone was in tuxes and gowns and when we roll in. And, you know, so sort of like, we really did feel like exposed in that, why are all these black people here dressed like farmhands? When uh -huh. is there at gowns and you know dripping in their jewels. So that was one thing. And then the we had some things where people went out for the New Year's Eve and half hour call the day after. They're not there. 15 minutes, they're not there. Oh, um, so at 10 till, the company manager runs in and says, Bill, you tap, right? Yes. Well, the fellow who did the two solo tap numbers in the show wasn't there. We need you to go out and improvise. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It was like, oh, come on. And uh, when they were there for the evening show, it was like, what happened? Oh, we were just so drunk. You know, there was just no- there was Oh, just not even a good reason. Uh, no accountability, no. So, so that was one. That was one experience that when I got off the plane at LAX, I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I just picked up my Done. So so there were those, there were those little things. Alvin and the Chipmunks was uh, I will say I was blessed. All of those things were very short lived. Yeah. You could do you can do a lot of things for a short amount of time. Yeah. So, yeah, so like, okay, this is not a three, but you three years in Reno, that's a that's a good long time. Did you did you decide to be done dancing or did you kind of just transition out because some people kind of did a little here or there or just like nope I'm done. You know, I was I I tried to transition more into um more stage. I mean mm -hmm. more acting um mm -hmm. and 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 TV and what so I mean for so for a period about a year and a half, you know, I was in the acting class, you know, Shakespeare class, voiceover class. Uh, commercial, da, 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 da. and um, and I put my way through. I had a pay the bills job, and then I would, would afford all those classes by doing tech in the classes. And and then there was one class I was um, doing the camera work for, and someone showed up, and they did, they hadn't learned their lines. So they couldn't go on and ruin the night for their scene partner. And I grabbed that guy out of class and just gave him the what for. And then I kind of like, when did I become the acting studio Nazi? Uh, and then I realized I wasn't having fun with it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I, and I had always told myself, you know, it's such a hard business. If I'm not having fun, I need to move on. Yeah. And so, you know, and at that time I had, I had been, callbacks for auditions, but I hadn't booked anything. And it was just, and then I had an IRS 
situation. I think now that I'm getting to the truth, I had a, a, some back tax thing um, and kind of, I got to get a full-time job and focus, get pay this off. And during that period, it took me back to banking, which is what I had done while I was putting my way through school. Um, that led me to branch management. That led me to, I got out of that and worked in the probate department, which, <laughs> I, which I found I loved because I'm an inquisitive, curious, nosy person and love learning, love seeing what, what did people do to end up with these assets and how did they decide how they wanted their assets to be distributed? And while in that position, um, after about a year and a half doing that, when attorneys that we worked with started asking me for my opinion, I thought, you're getting the statutory fee on this. I could do that. So with a great deal of hubris, I went back to law school. Oh, my. And then, um, so I returned at age 39. So I was probably one of five returning students. And I thought, you know, my grades were, my great undergraduate grades were had been fine. I'd done fine enough on the, the LSAT and whatnot. But I do think that uh, possibly the fact that I was coming in I offered a little diversification age-wise, career-wise, race-wise. Uh, so I was so I was admitted and I felt very, very blessed. And I was able to go back to the university that I had done my undergraduate studies. And uh, I loved the law school experience. Um, and while I was there, I got to go back to that dance department. And so while I was there as an undergrad, dance was part of the PE department. It was an ungraded and a half unit. By the time I got back, they'd realized that many of the people that went on to be professionals from that school actually came from the dance department. Um, they had incorporated as part of the theater department. It was now two units and it was graded and it was, it was part of the curriculum. So I became an adjunct professor in the dance department in the studio that I studied at. Oh my gosh, for full circle in such a beautiful way. And one of the numbers that I taught was top hat. Really? Oh yeah. my gosh. So I was able to, I had, I had access to that, the little video. So I was able to show them the number that I was getting ready to teach them. So that was, uh, so, so I- Everybody I, talks about that number. They talk about wanting to be in that number. That was kind of the, they auditioned that number. I actually just did, I have a Parisian cabaret I do here with the top hat, top hat to stepping out. And I put, I wasn't in top hat, but there's moves I know from watching it. I put them in there as just an as honor to Hello Hollywood. So I'm like, you guys just watch this little thing, but it makes me happy to know that that little bit of Hello Hollywood is in our show with you three girls is the sidekick with the cane up and a couple other things that are so iconic in those pictures that just, I love that you taught it. It well, was, was it still in your body? Cause to be watching the video, did oh it yeah. come back? Oh yeah. Was, I was still three years of it. I, I hadn't started practicing law yet. So I still had a body. Um, <laughs> but that thinking of top hat, you know, that I always loved doing that number, but the first time, you know, doing the fast change and getting in the spot and then coming up over those stairs and hitting that. 
that feeling still sort of takes my breath away. And, you know, because it's such a reveal. And then uh, I'll never forget, while I was in law school, I happened to go into Sacramento. They were doing Will, Ro Will Rogers Follies. And there was a staircase member. Yes. And when I saw those people coming over, you know, now mind you, they were in cowboy gear and whatnot. I just kind of, it like, that is my lineage. That is oh. what I, because I, you can see how, I, I, you know, I'm choking on my words now because yeah. that was such a neat feeling to be and be a part of that. So, oh, there was bluebells when they came over the stairs and then top hat because that video you can see how that transitioned. Yeah. And I, I interviewed Robert Rang too and talking about that with how the stairs and then the visual that he had. It wasn't just Don Arden. There's people like Robert Rang that that the concept. And then in Jubilee they talk about that too when the bluebells come up from this on the staircase from the basement with the mirrors that it just, it makes the audience, cause it kind of challenges your, your perspective of what's up or down or depth. It just, it's such a wonderful, instead of here's a flat stage or something that the audience just goes. And that's when people talk about, I've talked to Michael Kempton that said at the back of the stairs, it was one of her last shows that she was a singer and she could see the whole show from the stairs. Cause you had, she had the vantage point, but that was the thing that took her breath away. A lot of it is like getting to see instead of just on a flat stage being up there I don't know I just I think a lot of people like had that same reaction you did there's things that you can feel in your body of like reverence like oh my god I got to do that yeah. did you see the show before you were in it before you started rehearsing did you see it or did you just get no, thrown I, right I, into I, it I I I I think I did I think I did get to see that I I don't I, because I was, you know, I was a poor kid then, you know, so, but I do think that I, um, like my second audition for them, I think I was able to put a few coins together and, and, and see the show. That, at least that's my recollection. Yeah, because I remember seeing it, and, and I'd already had the contract, so I don't know if it was, I hadn't started rehearsals yet, because yeah. I saw it with my mom, knowing I was going to go into the show, and just, I had seen Hallelujah Hollywood, I hadn't seen Hello Hollywood, and just to go, oh my God to be in this it's overwhelming to see it and also to go is somebody said oh my gosh I'm in that and oh shit I'm in that like I'm gonna have to learn all that like it's overwhelming like am I gonna be able to do that and it's not just being on a stage it's like I have to go up and down elevators and not die when an elevator opens up and yeah it's just it's kind of fun to have that reverence you know after, after that long in the show that you still feel that so as we close I have a question too because there was things that you did that you, you said they brought you joy and there are things that just weren't good, but like, what were those things that this is dance and also what you're doing now? What is it that the part that brings you joy? Because some people it's the performing, some people, like you said, the backstage didn't matter as much as the onstage. What's the part that really did it for you? Just today, I had another business, uh, another business meeting. So what I do now is I work for a nonprofit. I, um, fundraiser and I get to work with people incorporating their charity into their estate plans how do they and so I get to have conversations with people on their values their goals their dreams tell me about so I get to learn all of that about and then in working with professionals uh, professional advisors and whatnot so 
learning enough about them so that I can help provide a solution. But when I turn the, the lens back on, part of what I need to do is share a little bit about me and why I do what I do now. Part of that that I get to share, and it just brings me joy to do this now, is to say, I got to live my dream. That kid who's, you know, my dad never saw me do anything until I got into 42nd Street in LA. And then he flew across the country to see us to bring his girlfriend when we were, but oh. I got to live my dream. Um, and I forgot, I, I did a lot of teaching as well. And I really loved it to see the light come on in people's eyes. Mm. Um, but, but I have to say, you know, so I got to live my dream and it was, so I got to do dancing. So dancing, performing was here. Going back to law school was here. Practicing law was down here, but going to law school was here because that allowed me to change. And, but what I do now in helping people achieve their dream, because I don't know about you, you know, we're, gonna, we're all gonna close our eyes for the last time at some point. Mm -hmm. And I work with people to help them say, what is it that you want to leave behind? Oh. What is the impact that you want to have when you've closed your eyes for the last time? And let's talk about how we can help you do that through your charity. But it's I'm only able to do that with the, the passion and the intensity that I do because I got to live my dream. That is so beautiful. We don't need to say anything else. That's the best way to end this, Bill. That was, oh, and I just think so many people that don't find that, you know, and it's just like, it's not a given that you get that in your life. No. It's, I, the work for you that you could have given up, but that we get to have that and not take that for granted and that you still get to feel that, that is absolutely beautiful. So Sherry, before I go, can I just, can I just thank you for this whole project that you've undertaken? I know that that must be a, an effort of joy and passion for you. And it is a great legacy that you will be leaving behind, that you're putting together and leaving behind. And uh, just getting, allowing us the opportunity to relive our treasured moments. Oh, that means a lot, Bill. Thank you. It is, I think it's what you were going to say when you get to do that for other people, because I think it's, I love watching people reconnect with that part of themselves. And I hope people listen to it, but I love that friends are finding each other and we are going, oh my gosh, that really, I really did that. So that's what brings me joy is when I watch other people, like you said, the light comes on in their face. I see 80 year olds that talk about it. And all of a sudden they look 20, like they start to get younger in their face when the joy comes in and they remember what they felt like. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I get to do this. So yeah, it's one of those things that kind of stumbled in. Like, I love stories. I want to hear about bluebells. Let's try it. And the next day I'm like, oh, there's way more going on than I thought. It's really is this reconnection of something that like kind of re reigniting the fire in us or if it, if it kind of dimmed a little bit. Can I just share one more? You bet. Slightly embarrassing thing. So I was at lunch today, Santa Monica, with this professional advisor that he's on one of our boards. And so I'm being, trying to be very professional and, you know, I want money from him, but this was the first meeting. 
but we're sitting there talking and a woman passed by our table. She sort of passed and sort of stopped. And then, and you, but you could tell from the, you know, this was a high-end restaurant, just the quality of what she was wearing. I, so it made me kind of look, but I got stuck on her legs because, and I realized, oh my God, she reminds me of the showgirls. She had mm-hmm. just, and there was a stature. And so the, whenever I see, groups of women together, I look at how are they standing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are they, you know, B plus is the foot beveled, you know? And so for years, I, you know, everyone I looked at, they had to fit that mold. Yeah. I, I've diversified that now, but it was, it was brought home today to me that I just had that look and they're like, and then I kind of, why did I do that in front of this guy that I'm, t- <laughs> and he, he's, I'm having lunch I'm with just her. checking out her gams. Huh? <laughs> I'm just checking out her gams. Well, when I went to the, the Lido reunion in Paris, I was using my GPS to find it. because I did. I knew it was on the Champs-Élysées, but I wasn't sure if I was close. And I come around the corner and there's all these tall women and how they were standing. I'm like, there they are. I didn't there, have yeah. to, I put my GPS. I knew that. And they were like, 70 80 year old women that were standing so beautiful and tall and they just this presence you know it's like it doesn't didn't go away and so i went there's my people i found them <laughs> and don't you find uh, even when you have the real world jobs when we get together we we vibrate at a different intensity i so believe that when i was in paris with people i go there is something it's a different frequency or something that is just Somebody said this, I, we probably should end this, but um, it was, she said that like when our twenties, it's something where our brain is forming. It really is technicolor in our dreams. Like how a lot of things could be fuzzy, but in your twenties, but I go, we were in our twenties doing these shows and those shows were like intense technicolor, like what we were wearing. And so like how our brain was forming when we have so much artistry around us, so much beauty that that's part of our development in the twenties and our characters when you get together with people who are just like you know every color every sparkle that that influenced how we see the world you know i'm going to be 68 in a couple of months but there's still something in my dna that does not want to go to bed before the show ends at two o'clock <laughs> i'm that way i go to bed at one something and i'm tired but i go I am on that clock forever. That that's the only clock that makes sense. Why do people get up at six in the morning? That's ridiculous. Well, I do that. I don't know how <laughs> anybody's supposed to do that. <laughs> I, you know, so so I probably cut off years off of my life. So, Sherry, <laughs> uh, I hope that we can. You know, I have your email. Let's stay because and we don't have to do it in this format. I just love talking with you. I love this too. I, I absolutely love it. So I've, I have all these friends, like whenever I'm here, let's get together. Like, I feel like my friend group is deeper and wider. And you're, are you in Seattle? I'm in Seattle. Yeah. So I'm not that far. And I come down to LA or I go to, to I've been going to Vegas almost every year because I've been getting some costumes from Mist and Get for my show. So I'm like another excuse to go down and see everybody. Yeah. I'll be, we'll, we'll go coffee, tea, well, one martinis, of whatever people, you do. One of my favorite people. So my roommate from it's Kevin Cashmore. Yes. He, lives, he lives in Seattle. 
I've been trying to meet up with him because Sean Cronin talked about, said he's up here. They were going to get together. So I'm going to bug Kevin for an interview too, but I don't think he's that far away from me because I'm North Seattle. I think he's probably maybe 20, 20 minutes from me. Okay. That's a sin that we haven't got together. So I'm going to bug him. Uh, yeah. When you come up, come see both of us. We'll get together. This is extra added, extra added. It's yes. Okay. Yep. We, we're on the same coast. We got a head start over most, most people. So Bill, thank you so much for your story is fabulous. I just, I love that everybody's story is so different and I'm still kind of in awe of your tap, that teacher that saw that and just brought that out and, and thank God for those people that, that did that for you. If I won the lotto, my, I would set up, I would donate a chair, a room, you know, a studio at UC Davis under his name. Mm. I, everything that I've contributed to the world came from my time at UC Davis, and I would have never had the life that I have had it not been for Jer Curry. Mm. So, so we say thank you to those people. I think all of us have found those people in our life that we owe a debt of gratitude and it's a, it's a chance to actually like say it out loud and yeah, yeah say it. Thank you. Okay. Be well, my friend, until we meet in person. And do you celebrate Easter? I said, yeah, sort of. It's a little bit less now that my kids are grown. I'm by myself, but yeah. Happy Easter to you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.